0: So now we're going to look at Zechariah. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 2. I am loving this book. I am loving going through this. We're going to continue in this wonderful study of the word of the living God. We want to make sure that we look at Zechariah closely. This is the third vision. Okay, the third vision. Just for those who are catching up, we're in chapter 2, but we're looking at the third vision. And it's going to give us instruction and direction from the Lord. Last week, when we looked at the first part of this vision, uh, we found out that Jerusalem was to be resettled. We found out that there was a man with a measuring line. He was going to measure how large that city was going to be. And, and when it's all said and done, it's going to be, they're not going to be able to measure the city. Peoples are going to return. But let's read Zechariah chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Remember, this is the last part of this vision. And he says there, Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and I will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Today, what we're going to look at is three directives, three directives that, that we're going to learn from this passage, three directives that are going to convey a message to the people of God that are in Jerusalem at the time, and also to the people who are in Babylon. This is what he's speaking to is to the people that are in Babylon. This message is a message of urgency. And he's talking about resettling the land. And here are, and I'm going to give them to you ahead of time. Is number one, the three directives are flee the enemy. Flee the enemy. We see that in verses six through nine. The next directive will be seen in verses 10 through 12, and it's rejoice with God. And the last is verse 13 quiet your hearts. Quiet your hearts. The first directive starts there in verse six flee the enemy. Zechariah starts out in this vision. He says, This, oh, the, ho there, flee from the land of the north. Now, would you please close your Bibles? Please close your Bibles. Now, if I was to say north and we're in Los Angeles, we would think of San Francisco. Am I correct? Sacramento. Okay. When it says north here, what do you think of? Lebanon. Yeah but Babylon's not in Lebanon. Okay, now open up your maps at the end of the Bible. Would you find a map that has Jerusalem and Babylon in it? Wait a minute. Is there a mistake in the Bible? Is there something wrong here? It says flee from the north, and Babylon's where? In the east, matter of fact, it's almost close to exactly across from them. There must be a mistake in God's word. Okay, folks, help me out. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always asking myself these questions. What's going on here? Okay. Babylon straightly to the east. Why does it say that? Folks, you need to know because if you go directly east from Babylon or directly west from Babylon, you're going to be crossing a desert, and it's not an easy place to cross. But if you go up and down, and that's where the invasion came from, was they went up and then they came down, and then they invaded Jerusalem. And so that's how they are fleeing from the north is that that's where they came into Jerusalem. And so Zechariah is saying, flee from the north because that's where they're going to be coming from. Flee, come up to Jerusalem. Come up there as quickly as you possibly can. Zechariah is pleading with them. Zechariah is saying, you need to get here quickly. It's important for you to get here. So that was your geography lesson for the day. Now you can leave the fourth grade and come back to... Grace Community Church. I think that's, you know, when do they do geography? I have no idea. Anyway, just a little, you know, I want to keep you on your toes. When you read the Bible, can you do me a favor as a pastor? Just don't take what it says there for granted. Check it out. Why does it say north? I remember years ago, my first trip to Israel, and it always said that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, But he was in Galilee, and I'm going, wait a minute. He's up in Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee. What is he going up to Jerusalem? Well, my first trip to Israel, I'm on a tour bus, and we got stuck behind a tank. And you know how slow a tank goes, and it's going up this, and it's going up to Jerusalem from Galilee. You're going up to Jerusalem because you're going up a mountain. So keep those things in mind. Ask yourself those questions. Why is that? So why is the prophet saying, flee from the land of the north? Why is he saying that? Because as you heard last week, only about 50,000, it was actually 49,247 people, came into Jerusalem when they fled from Babylon. There are more people still in Babylon. And he's asking, please, come back. You got to come back. He's pleading with them. The migrants, okay, from the north are directed to flee to Jerusalem instead of staying where they are. They're slowing down the progress of the building of the temple. They're slowing down the progress of the building of the wall by staying where they are. And so Zechariah is pleading with them. He is directing them to listen. The whole nation, the whole Jewish nation, is being urged to return to land, to not remain where they are in their comfy and cozy homes in Babylon. But beyond the comfortable places of residence in Babylon, they had something that was even more serious, something else that they needed to be wrestling with. Some of those folks who remained back in Babylon had lost their faith. look, God put us here. He didn't really care about us. He sent us here. Who cares if we go back? Why should I listen to the priest? Why should I listen to the prophet? I might as well just stay here. As a matter of fact, I've got a nice home. You know, I have indoor plumbing, heating, air conditioning. I'm only kidding, folks. They had none of those things, but they liked those homes. They didn't have to come back to a place where there wasn't one rock standing upon another, where there weren't homes, where they had to put tents up, where they'd have to build a wall of safety against their enemies. They had a problem with their faith in listening to God. Do, Do we have that sometimes? Do we believe that God can get us through certain situations? The, be- the Hebrews were to begin to trust in God. That's what was to happen here. They were to begin to trust God. Trust God for their safety. Trust God that the temple would be built. Trust God in their worship of him. Some Jews at this time saw the captivity in Babylon as, as a breach of the covenant of God, and so why listen to what he has to say? Obviously, humanity has not changed, though, has it? Not at all. We see every time that someone breaches our trust, an opportunity to not talk to them anymore, to not have them as our friends anymore because they have breached our trust, but they're believers. You see, we recognize others' unfaithfulness, but we don't recognize our own unfaithfulness. It's so easy to see that in someone else but not in ourself. We see other sins, but we never see our part in their sins. And these people had absolutely no reason to be disappointed in God. And we never, ever have a reason to be disappointed in God for he is good and he's always good unfortunately in the end some of these people remained in babylon they never returned to the promised land god knows his part his part in this and he dispersed them to the four winds he, he sent them on their way now in verse 7 he yahweh says this he says escape you are a living with the daughter of Babylon. Again, he says the same kind of thing. Flee, escape, you gotta get out of there. God is the one who sent them to Babylon and now he is the one who is directing them to return home. But they have to return home by faith. They have to leave the the idols, the, the things that have attracted them to come back to him. They're coming back from the north, from Babylon. It's just basically an indication of what's going on in their heart. Because they had fled from him. God punished them, sent them into captivity, and is now saying, come on back. It's time to come back. See, some of those who reside in in Babylon achieved some measure of comfort. They did. And and were not ready to pick up and, and return. Sometimes in our sin, we receive some measure of comfort. And it's so hard to come back from that measure of comfort, that measure of being fulfilled in some way. Now, some of these folks, and we got to realize this, folks, when they were sent to Babylon, they're in about the third generation. Some of those young people are in about the third generation that have left Jerusalem. They they can't even remember What was going on back in uh, Jerusalem? They do not have any ties to the motherland, but they do, they should have a tie to God. The rich are secure in their riches. The ones that returned, the migrants that returned to Jerusalem, were generally the poor and the destitute. They returned, and that's why it's taken 14 years to start to build anything there in Jerusalem. They have no money, virtually have no skills, and they're supposed to be putting this back together. Now, I think of this, and it's just a side note. Just, Just think about this. I was in South Korea two summers ago, two, three summers ago, and I was thinking about, when I was looking at this passage, I spoke to some folks down in South Korea who had relatives up in the north. They've been up there for about 60 years, and they've been separated. They, they don't have phone calls. They don't send them emails and texts back and forth. They're separated from one another. What if that border was taken down? And I, I mean, I had hopes of that, you know, not too long ago. What if that border was taken down, and they were able to come back? Would they come back? Would the people from the south go up to the north to, to see their relatives that are there? Can you imagine that happening? That would be beautiful. That would be beautiful. You see, the, the, the captivity in Babylon is shorter than it was when they were in Egypt. Egypt was 400 years. What did the Jews do then? Here they are going through the desert, and they complain to Moses. They complain to Moses. Moses, we, we don't have any food. We don't have enough food. We don't have the right kind of food. We have to eat that quail again? We have to eat that oatmeal again? (laughs) Again and again and again? Over and over and over? You know what they started to say? Let's go back. And, And when they say, let's go back and let's get this kind of food, I'm thinking, you know what? I saw those kind of things in a Jewish deli. There's no Jewish deli in Egypt. They're not going to go back to that. They're going back to slavery once again. That's how fickle we are as human beings. We don't know what's good for us. The Hebrews in the desert started to complain and they wanted to return to Egypt. And all they were going to do was have more hardship. Humanity is never satisfied. Never satisfied. Last year when we didn't have any rain, I heard people complaining we didn't have any rain. This year when we had a lot of rain, I heard everybody complaining we had too much rain. Well, come on, folks, what is this? You know, you think about, oh, we didn't get any snow last year. Well, this year we had a lot of snow. You get all of this kind of stuff. I Would just be satisfied with what you have. God is calling the nation here to be a nation of migrants, to leave Babylon and come home. Yahweh is directing them back to Israel to the help of, They're in the reconstructing of the wall and of the temple. It needed to happen. There were not enough bodies. There There were not enough able-bodied men to do this. Verse 7, escape you who are in Babylon. There is, and they didn't know this, in Babylon, an impending danger. They did not know that God had already directed the Medes to come in and overtake the Babylonians to wipe out the Chaldeans, and the Jews would have been just part of what would be wiped out. And he's saying, come on back. It's going to happen. But he's not telling them why. Because then they'd be coming back for the wrong reason. They wouldn't be coming back for faith purposes. They'd be coming back because I'm scared purposes. They're comfortable with their surroundings and they do not want to venture out into the zone of, of discomfort in any way. They have this, well, let's call it persistent laziness. They have this persistent fear. Oh, can we do that? You know, these, these plans that we have to make, they, they're crippling us and, and we got to think about this and we got to think about that. Come on, get over it. Just do it. Just do it flee and escape to Jerusalem is what the Hebrews are being cons- counselled to do. Jerusalem has so has no physical means of protection. Babylon has these massive walls of protection and those massive walls of protection don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. Visually it looks like it's more secure, but it's not. God is saying they are about to be judged. Babylon is going to experience her own judgment. God is going to judge Babylon and it would be better for the Jews to have come back to the promised land. Turn with me for a minute to Isaiah. Chapter 13 and 14, I want to give you just a little bit of a picture. We're certainly not going to read both of these chapters. Both of these chapters speak about the um, punishment or the retribution against Babylon for what Babylon did to the Jewish nation. But I just want to pick out some verses there in um, Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. This is what God has to say there. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will hold them, will hold will take hold of them. They will writh like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it arises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put, also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. God is saying this pre-exilic. This came before they were sent to Babylon, that he was going to punish Babylon for this. How do we know he's going to punish Babylon? Verse 1, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, said. So this is about Babylon. And yet they stay there. Yet they stay there. There's going to be punishment for this. And you continue to do it. You're told that this particular sin is going to be punished. It's like talking to your children, isn't it? If you take a cookie out of the cookie jar, you're going to have a punishment. Guess what happens? They put their hand in the cookie jar. Some parents react wrongly and say, oh, isn't that cute? Yeah, you're you're going to have problems down the road. We see it in Hebrews chapter 12. God does punish the believer. He does spank them, but He loves them. But He loves them. There's a warning here that goes on. Let's look at verses 17, Isaiah 13, 17. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them. He says it plainly what He's going to do. Did they listen? I actually couldn't believe that one time where I said something to my daughter and I said, this is what's going to happen. And she did it anyway, right in front of me. Now, my granddaughters do not sin. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but I told my granddaughter, don't put your finger in the socket. Don't put your, don't put your hand in the socket. Do you know what she did? She picked up her foot and she started <laughs> to try to do it. That is just a picture Okay, that's just a picture of our hearts. Okay, I got away with that. I put my foot in there. Don't put your finger in there. He's going to raise up the Medes against them who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold, and their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb. Can you imagine a pregnant woman and they have no compassion on that kind of person? Nor will they eye pity children. Their eye is not even going to look at a, at a child and say, "Oh, it's too poor thing, a little guy." I mean, I would find them cute. No, they don't. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans, pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And hopefully, they would know Genesis 19, and they know Sodom and Gomorrah. It's gone, gone. It will never be inhabited. Or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. Folks, they had this before they went to Babylon. And now God is urging them to come back, flee, escape. I, I gotta tell you, that's pretty excellent reason to leave. It's, it's, It's like Californians being told, you're going to pay 70% tax. Do you think people would stay there? Yeah, we are already. (laughs) I understood a baseball player wouldn't come to California and play in San Francisco because he had to pay so much tax, so he went and played in another state. Yeah. They had good enough reason... Because God said so. Just because God said so, that's that's all it needs to happen. That's good enough reason. Let's go back to Zechariah, verse 8. All the nations that have been persecuted and plundered, Israel will be dealt with, will deal with them through Yahweh. And this is what Yahweh promises, and we see that in verse 8. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, after glory he sent me against the nations, which plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Touches the apple of my eye. He's going to deal with them. Now, some of you use other translations rather than the best translation, the New American Standard. I understand that. It's okay. I know some of you have the nearly inspired version. It's okay. Some of you have the English standard version. The reading there sounds a little bit different, folks, and I understand that, and I'm going to give that to you, all right? But I want to go back, and, and I did. I got to I tell you, I spent a little bit more time on this. I am not a Hebrew scholar. In, to me, Hebrew is backwards, but... <clears throat> This is what I found, and I, I believe this to be credible, and, and it really, truly makes the most sense. The Hebrew words, ahar, kabod, okay, in the New Testament, it says after glory. <clears throat> kabod is a word that can also mean a, a heaviness, a weightiness to it, or an urgency for it, an urgency for something. That's the way I'm taking this word is there's an urgency for it. Therefore, the passage should be read like this with great heaviness or urgency, he has sent me. I've got an important message for you. This, this message is about your life, it, it is about your posterity for the future and all of that kind of thing. The urgency here is to protect the people of God from the nations that are going to be plundered. Come back. Because they're going to be plundered. With urgency, he has sent me against the nations which plundered you. Did they listen? Did they hear? The end of verse 8 gives us the whole story. Gives us really the, the, the wonder of this story. For he who touches you, that is Israel, touches the apple of my eye, the pupil of my eye. Folks, folks, that is the the most delicate part of your eye is the is the pupil of your eye, the apple of your eye. It needs to be protected. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two. We see this expression used there as well. Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verses nine and ten. Well, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He's speaking about Israel here. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye, as the most tender part of humanity. He took care of them and protected them from all of the other things that could possibly happen. God has, has a very, i got to tell you, you got to understand this, folks. God has a very special place in his heart for the Jewish people. I love Jewish people. It's just absolutely incredible what God has done for them and is going to do in the future. Go back to Zechariah the Lord is going to bring retribution upon those who overdid the trouble toward Israel. These are his covenant people. They troubled the apple of his eye, the pupil of his eye. They they poked their finger in there, that which is sensitive, that which is vulnerable, and, and he didn't like the way they did it. They ought not to have done it. And so if you assault God's people, He will assault you. He will bring retribution against you. God can send the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem, scatter the people of God, listen to this, and take them into captivity. God can do that. Here, go do that for me. At the same time, God can hold the Babylonians responsible for brutalizing the Jewish nation because that is what they did. They brutalized the Hebrew nation. God absolves His people, and He refers to them as the apple of his eye." The faithful loving-kindness of God toward Israel is overwhelming. Really, it's no different, OK, than a Christian parent who must discipline his children. I cannot tell you how many times I would take one of my daughters to their bedroom and I'd have this little rod in my hand and, and we'd go in there and we'd go through our little Bible lesson about what they did wrong and, and what they needed to do and, and all of these kinds of things. And then I would say to them, I'm going to have to spank you and it's going to hurt me more than you. And they'd look at me like I was crazy. But you know what? It did hurt me more than them. I hated having to spank my children. As an unbeliever, when we had our first child, I said, we're not doing that. I'm not touching them. Not going to ever do that. We got saved and we realized we had to do that. We had to do that. That's what God is doing here. He spanked his children, but Babylon overdid it. The Chaldeans went too far. That's the apple of his eye. That's the first directive. The second directive is rejoice with God. The message of urgency is even in here, in in rejoicing with God, we see that in verses 10 through 12. It says, sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. I tell you, let's praise the Lord and just we can end right there. Why rejoice? For behold, I will wave my hand. Listen to this. I will wave my hand over them and they will become plunder. That's all he has to do. He just waves his hand. And they're going to become plunder. The wave of the hand does that. It brings the enemies of God to destruction. Babylon will be put to plunder. And once those who once were slaves will now take over their goods, will take over their valuables and now will become the masters. Friends, we are coming upon some of the most profound truth in all of scripture here. Listen to this. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. The promise of the Messiah. The promise of God being amongst us. This is an astonishing promise. It's an overwhelming promise. He will dwell in our midst. Yes, Jesus came. He dwelt among the Jewish nation in Jerusalem, in Galilee and and areas around there. But his people didn't recognize him. His people didn't recognize him. Oh, yes, a few did, and that's good. Maybe 5,000, you know, and baptized you That's good. But for a nation, they did not recognize him. He's going to return again. And in that time, the Jewish evangelists are going to be set free. And they are going to win many, many to Christ, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. He comes to dwell among his people. And at the same time, listen to this, the one whom the Lord of hosts has sent. You have God, Yahweh, God, Jesus, sending him. God, very God, sending his beloved son to dwell amongst us for what? Our salvation. Frankly, it's the salvation of nations look at verse 11 many nations will join themselves to the lord in that day and will become my people many nations that's incredible that's gracious of god to do that verse 10 sing for joy it's uh, the expression of shouting of screeching of hollering of roaring of with gladness and joy why the Lord says he is coming, and he will dwell in their midst. God will dwell among his people. Yesterday, as I'm caring for my wife, she's in the backyard, she's sitting on the couch, and, and I said, got, I got work to do. As a matter of fact, the, the night before, I had put one of our seminary students to work, and he helped me lay out my cover for my pool because I want to heat the pool up and get it warm so that we can enjoy it this summer. And not only that, but my grandchildren are coming in May, <laughs> So I took a picture of the pool with the cover on it when I got it all done and I sent it off to my daughter in Virginia. And her answer was, and I said in in the text, I said, this is in anticipation of the little ones coming to enjoy our backyard and enjoy us. And my daughter sent back, shouts of joy are heard throughout the house. And that's only a pool cover. Could you imagine God Almighty? Shouts of joy. Our hearts are just going to burst, folks. We're going we're to have tingles. We're going to be walking on clouds. God Almighty, we get to see him. That's a beautiful picture of what God does in our lives. Turn with me to Zephaniah. And you go, oh my is that anywhere near Hezekiah? No, it is not. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 3. You only got to go back a couple of pages, just past Haggai. Zephaniah chapter 3. And listen to this description of what's happening at this point. It says in verse 14, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with our with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He will fear, you will fear disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over all will exult over you and with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. What a day. He comes back and we get to see this. We get to see him. And him taking in his people. The Lord declares here, I am coming. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that in all your heart. He is coming. He's coming soon, folks. And today is sooner than yesterday. And just realize that. Just because it's been 2,000 years, that's nothing for God. 1,000 years is as a day. You just got a couple of days more to go, maybe. A couple of more seconds for him. I am coming, verse 10. Let's go back to Zechariah. I am coming. There is a pending action here, folks. These are things that are about to happen. As, as we say in theology, this, this is about to go on. It's there. We're right on the edge. The Lord says, Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and become my people. Wow. If I could put it this way, folks. Verse 11 Many going will join themselves to the Lord in that day and become my people. That's us those who are outside the Jewish family. I know we have some Jewish people here, praise God. But outside of that, we have been invited in. 1989, I'm in a parking lot in um, San Clemente, I think. I've got my boss sitting next to me and my sales manager sitting behind me and I take out Isaiah 53, okay? We had some time waiting because we didn't have to go in to see the customer. And I have my Bible, I pull it out, and I go to Isaiah 53 and start witnessing to my two bosses. This is before I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in seminary, but it's before I'm on staff here. It's February, I can remember it. And I, I, I witnessed to them out of Isaiah 53, and, and we had a discussion about what it is. I said, those are personal pronouns and so all of that kind of stuff. And they said it was the nation. I wished I had gone to this verse. Many nations, many goyim will join you and be part of your family. We have been engrafted, folks, into the kingdom of priests. We see that in Peter. He speaks of that. Friends, we are no longer outside the family. We are now the people of God. How else should a believer rejoice? We we should be screaming and yelling and and thankful for all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. This is proof of what's going to happen. He's working amongst us. I, I see hearts and minds and lives changed all the time. I, I see people come to Christ. That, that man who was in the back there is the music minister over in Atlanta was a little boy in my ministry and children's. See what God does in his life, his brother's life, his sister's life. Their missionary family in Sri Lanka. The, the, what God continues to do and In our midst. And I think about it, and we have so many missionaries today that go out bringing the gospel to others. Praise God, because you get to enjoy it and see it. Verse 12, the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the holy land, and will again choose Jerusalem. He's going to possess it. It's his no one can take that from him. He's going to take possession of it. Does he have possession of it now? Not really. Is all the earth his? Yes, but not really. This is the only time that Israel Judah is ever referred to in the scriptures at the Holy Land. That land, as I said a few weeks ago, will only be holy when Jesus Christ returns and takes possession of that land. Because now Jerusalem is no more holy than Los Angeles. Can you imagine that? The land is only holy because of God's sweet possession of it. Because he dwells there in the temple. Psalm 15 verse 1 says this, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Folks, it's only those who know him. It's only those who have given their life by faith to Jesus Christ and said, take it and do whatever you want. I'm yours. I owe everything to you. So take it. God's desertion or rejection of Judah is now reversed. So far, we've seen two directives. We have one more to go here, folks. Flee the enemy and rejoice with God. The last directive that Zachariah conveys here in this message of urgency is quiet your hearts. Quiet your hearts. He says in verse 13, be silent. Be silent. I I know that when I was in high school, sometimes a high school teacher would say, be silent. He actually didn't say it that way. In New, York, in New York, they said, shut up. Guess what? Boom. I went to an all-boys high school. It was, yeah, because then it was detention. Then it was the rod on your hands. Yeah, shut up. But here he says, be silent. This is the scriptures. All flesh before the Lord, for he has aroused from his holy habitation. He's been aroused. He is about doing his work. Habakkuk 2.20 says it this way, let all the earth be silent before him. You know, I'm thinking of this day and it doesn't exactly match up, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ, whether on, on the earth, in the heavens or under the earth. Yeah, everybody. There will be a recognition. Will there be a salvation for all of them? No, but there'll be a recognition Be silent. You were wrong. Wouldn't that be great if our news agencies did that? (laughs) Be silent. Quiet your hearts as God is about to judge all the earth. He's had enough of mankind's rebellion, enough of mankind's disobedience, This is the majestic King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's about to make pronouncement. All humanity will stand before him, you and me. I wished I could hide because 2 Corinthians 10 10 tells me that he will, the deeds that are good and the deeds that are bad. I don't want them to be seen by anybody, but you know what? I'm gonna be in heaven. As I've been encouraged, teaching through this wonderful book, I have told you and I have asked you, I should say, please look at it from the Jewish perspective first. Take it in as a Jewish letter and see it that way. Do you think if you were living in Babylon, you would be fleeing to Jerusalem? When you're looking out there and you're seeing these various things happening, That's what you have to ask yourself. Would I do that? Zechariah's contemporaries, I don't know how they could get all of this in their mind. Who's going to interpret this kind of stuff for them? Because they don't have all the history that we have. They don't have the New Testament. So, do yourself a favor and be gentle with the Jewish people because they can't see it. Because they don't know your New Testament my next-door neighbor, when we invited him here to Faith Builders years ago, Jewish fellow, I mean, a Jewish gal and a, and a Catholic fellow, and they finally, they did come. Once she got here and she saw us teaching through the book and uh, through, the, through the Bible, she says to me, which one do I need to get, the new one or the old one? Meaning the New Testament or the Old Testament. I said, look, I'll go buy it for you. I can get a bargain, too, at the same time. <laughs> So I got her a John MacArthur study Bible. They don't have an idea of what the New Testament says in most cases. They're just looking in this time to survive. They want to survive to the next week, to the next day, to the next meal. They really, in some cases, if they're back in Babylon, don't want to start working on a wall. I've already got a wall. I mean, Babylon's got this big wall here. Why do I need another wall? They don't care about a house because they're already sitting in a house. And because they had lost their faith, they certainly don't need a temple. But for us, folks, you need to keep building. You need to keep working on your faith in Jesus Christ. God has done far exceedingly beyond anything we could ask or think. We're the Goyim, and he still took us in. He gives Israel and all the Goyim a glorious hope, a majestic future. I'm looking forward to whatever that may be. Let's pray that it would happen soon. Father God, you are good. You're always good. And Lord, as a Goyim, and thinking about what you have done for us and the Lord Jesus Christ, I look forward to that day, yes, of seeing you, yes, of standing before you, yes, of being judged for the good and the bad. Because, Lord, I know, as we're going to see in Joshua, that none of us deserve to stand before you. As we look at chapter 3, we'll see that no one is going to be able to stand before you because we're all filthy but it's because of Jesus Christ we have become clean. Thank you for him. We pray this in your name. Amen.